we recorded with Dr. Maggie Zingman in early January. And from that short amount of time from when we recorded to the release date of her episode, some developments have occurred. Maggie came across some new key information that I believe needs to not only be discussed here, I think it needs to be added to our existing knowledge of this case. For Brittany, it might go to time of death. It might add a potential witness. It definitely adds a place of interest. This additional information has got a specific location, a specific day, and a specific time frame. Some people may say, well, she shouldn't be talking about it. She should wait. It might hurt the case. I don't know how it would hurt the case to bring this out because bringing it out, we're going to be able to find out if somebody did a favor or ran an errand for Brittany. This particular piece of evidence is critical to put in the public to plead for somebody to come forward. One thing that I know I inherited from my mama is I love time capsules, messages in bottles, and these letters that are sometimes lost for long periods of time and then delivered. I remember there was a letter that was written by a young soldier in like 1945 that was delivered to his widow in 2021. It had been lost all that time. I think it was a letter that he wrote to his mom and somehow the postal service came up with it. And of course his mama was long gone. He was also deceased. So his wife is who they delivered it to. And I just love stories like that. Cold cases are a lot like a time capsule. Everything stops when a crime happens. The victim doesn't get any older. They don't go back to work. They don't go back to school. They don't contact family ever again. That file is encased and preserved and locked away. And sometimes it didn't open for years or decades. And just like the long lost love letter that gets delivered 50 years later, we have a letter that was either mailed by Brittany or somebody mailed it on her behalf. We've just learned about it, but we know that changes the timeline. It adds a place, that specific post office. It adds a person, again, either Brittany herself or somebody for her. Maggie has held this in her hand like a time capsule. She's read it. She stared at Brittany's handwriting. The memories have come flooding back to her and the questions, where did she get this envelope? When did she write it? Where was she when she wrote it? Who mailed it? When did they mail it? But it's put into play now. Tonight, we have news that has just kind of blown my mind. I'm bringing back Dr. Maggie Zingman to talk about some evidence that was just discovered that has busted this timeline wide open and given us, in my opinion, 
not just a piece of evidence, but a critical timestamp in real time of when Brittany may have been alive. Maggie, welcome back to Zone 7. What in the world has been discovered? I, I don't even know where to start, but leave it to say about four days ago, my ex-husband, who I really have not talked much since Brittany's murder, called me and he said, I need to send you a picture of something. And he sent a picture of an envelope. And he said, look at the timestamp. What he told me was that he had received, like he did every year, a letter from my daughter asking him to forward a birthday card for her grandfather, his father. And every year she would do that no matter where she was, Florida, Tulsa. And he said, so she sent it to me and I got it a week after she died. That's sort of earth-shattering enough. But he said, look at the timestamp. The timestamp said, it said September 29th, which theoretically we've always been told that she was killed sometime September 27th through the morning of the 28th. So you talk about a letter from the past. Uh, this letter from the past could be telling us so many things. I mean, I got him to send it to me and he FedExed it to me a day later. So I did have it in my possession. Well, I know when you sent it to me, it leaped off the page to me. Somebody went into a post office or went to a kiosk and got a stamp printed. It's not like a postage stamp and then later it's postmarked. This is one of those stamps that has... But they call it a cancellation, and, and they have a, meet, a meter mark. And when he first told me, I thought, oh, she probably got, had a stamp, and she probably put it in her post office, I mean, her apartment mailbox, and so it didn't get picked up to a day later. So I expected to just see, you know, a stick and peel stamp. But this is a mechanized stamp. It's a mechanized stamp that has the amount that it cost. It's printed out, and then the postmaster, or if you bought it at a kiosk, it is then, it's already printed. You just stick it on the envelope. And not only was the date September 29th at, I think, like 3 p.m., I forget, but the cancellation where you buy it at a kiosk, you put it through the slot after you put the stamp on the cancellation was the same day also. Correct. And you talked to her on the 27th. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I talked to her that night because she was really upset and having some medical issues. And I told her we'd get it all um, put together. And, and, you know, I called her on the 28th. I mean, on the 26th. That was the 27th. Sorry, I'm blah, blah, blah erase that. Um, <laughs> but um, yes, I talked to her on the 27th. And then I tried to call her on the 28th. But per their timeline, she was already dead. And I wasn't surprised that she didn't call me back because she rarely called me back on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, because she had a late school. So the 28th was Tuesday, but the 29th was Wednesday. This whole thing so what I was trying to say earlier is it even has a QR code on it. So some of these numbers that are on it 
you know, we can find out the exact location. But y'all, this is so new to us. We're still in the process of trying to do our investigation on the envelope and on the stamp. We are not even there yet. We're working on it. We've got some really good people on it. We even have a postmaster helping. But right now, we don't know if it was inside a post office or at a kiosk. We just know it wasn't like she had a stamp in her drawer, put it on there, and went to a post box and dropped it. She had to go in somewhere to get this printed off to put on there. And Cheryl, you know, I mean, it's not like we're not looking at the other options because, you know, the multiple conversations you and I and the rest of the group have had. You know, one of the things was, well, you know, Brittany was busy. She wasn't feeling good. So maybe she gave it to a friend to mail. And so I took it upon myself, even before I gave it to the Tulsa police, to talk to the five people that I knew who were closest to her, her best friend, the young girl that she went to school with and who came upon her apartment, the young lady that she stayed with when she first came back from Eckerd College in Florida, and her brother who saw her that night at school, and then another friend, a friend who she visited in Texas that uh, for various reasons we were looking at some of the people that that friend knew. So those were the five people who had the closest contact with them. And I asked them, do you remember mailing a letter for Brittany right around the time she was murdered? And they all said no. That's five people, the closest people to her. That doesn't mean there's not other people, but there's a problem in how to find those other people. Well, here's my problem with that. If somebody is close enough to you that they say, hey, can you mail this for me? Which is kind of like a little mundane type of errand. Sure, I can do that. And then days later, if not hours later, you find out they've been murdered. You are never going to forget you ran that errand for them. That would be so etched in your memory that the last time I saw her, she gave me a letter to mail to her dad. And then I get a phone call from a friend or a fellow student or a coworker or a neighbor, somebody that tells me she's not just dead, but murdered. I can't believe that person hasn't come forward. Well, you know, them coming forward again, so many of her friends were young and naive. So I, I sort of can understand that. But yeah, I would have. But what I don't agree with is that some people are saying, Who's going to remember mailing something 18 years ago? And like you just said, if I mailed something for someone and she was murdered four days later, three days later, I'm sure as hell going to remember it. Every single student that knew those four students in Moscow, Idaho, are never going to forget where they were when they found out. Exactly. There is no way anybody would forget doing the last favor that child ever asked somebody to do. And my point is, especially now, this whole time they were saying, well, she could have been killed on the 27th or the 28th or the 29th. I'm shocked that person didn't come forward and say, well, it couldn't have been on the 28th because she gave me a letter on the 28th to mail. If it was a friend. Absolutely right. So we have, it could have been a friend or it could have been her. So if she mailed that letter earlier in the day, 
went and got something to eat, went home, and there was somebody either bum-rushed in, waiting for her, knocked on the door. She thought she had a delivery, and she opened the door. Somehow they gained entry without forcing their way in, and then she was murdered. But this changes the entire timeline, and a timeline is Investigation 101. You need to know exactly what happened, exactly when it happened, so that you can get you know, your suspect pool reduced because if somebody gives you an alibi for the 27th and you clear them, but then you find out she might not have been killed on the 27th, now we have a whole new, got to start from ground zero because the timeline has just changed because we got a U.S. postage stamp with a date of sale of 092904 that we cannot ignore. Tell them what else you got. So where do you want me to start? <laughs> I mean, this is one of those things, honestly. Yeah. I mean, well, Maggie, I sit yeah. here and I'm thinking all of these years, yeah. 2005, 2007, 2012, 2020. I mean, all these years that you're waiting. I mean, I'm waiting and waiting. And then, you know, we had this DNA and the DNA was compared to hundreds, hundreds of suspects. Jeff Felton was endless in trying to figure them out. and then. In 2019, C.C. Moore with Parabon not only draws a phenotype picture, but finally, after a year of searching all the genealogy charts and everything, makes a direct hit to a person that they interview, but they say he's not our killer. That's when they should have gone back to ground zero. 100%. You know, and gone back over the autopsy and gone back over the evidence and stuff. But it was pick and choose. And I keep sending them tips all the time and stuff. And so, but I was hesitant when I got this because I thought, once again, I'm going to give them something that could mean something, could mean nothing. But I'm really afraid of what they might want to do or what they won't do, rather. Here's the bottom line. They can't clear people based on an alibi on the 27th or 28th. They have to factor this letter in, period. They took the evidence from me. Yes. They didn't ask me for the list of the five people that I've checked with. As I've checked with my ex. They haven't contacted him about it yet. And they told me that they didn't think it was going to mean anything. One person in particular told me that he didn't think anybody could remember mailing anything at 18 years. But they were going to take it and look at it and stuff, but they didn't have time to sit and listen to the people I've talked to or listen to my other concerns about it. Okay, well, you recently got the autopsy report, so let's just jump in this thing. So now you have a letter, Mark the 29th. According to the autopsy report, she had food in her stomach. They list very clearly it resembles brown meat, a tomato, and green vegetable. If you still have food in your stomach, that's usually four to six hours. So that timeline is going to get narrowed even more now. So if we go off the assumption, theory one, she mailed the letter, got something to eat, and then was murdered within four hours. We might have a real tight window now compared to three days 
It's not going to be three days anymore. It's not. With this case, I, I really don't know what to believe anymore, you know, but all these things are just strange. You know, I had seen the autopsy years and years ago, but of course I had no concerns back in 2009, 2010, you know, I mean, because everything was being looked at. Um, but, you know, this, and it, it just doesn't seem like to me, and again, I'm still naive. I don't know everything, but I've been learning a lot over 18 years. It doesn't seem like certain evidence that I was told was done and taken, like swabs and different things. It's not listed in that autopsy report. It is not listed. Maybe they didn't send me the full one. I don't know. Maybe, but it is odd. There should be a list of things that were done. The evidence should be listed clearly. There was something found under her fingernails. We swabbed her mouth. We swabbed her vaginal area. That should be in there. And here's the thing that when you look at the time of death, the time of death is not listed. When you're walking through a homicide scene, you know that death occurs in stages. So dying is a process. So one of the first things you want to look for are, you know, is there any bugs? Is there any rigor mortis? Is there any color? What do the eyes look like? What's the temperature? Like all of these things should happen to tell you where this body is in this process. This autopsy is very clear to me. They say there's no rigor mortis in the jaw. They say that rigor is mild. So now you're talking four to two hours. So if you've got mild rigor mortis on top of food in her stomach, Maggie, this changes this timeline to such a massive degree that it needs to be ground zero. You start over today based on what you know now. Let's put the word out. Was there somebody else that did a favor for her? Was a neighbor going to the grocery store in the post office and did, you know, Brittany just say, hey, can you mail this for me? And they've never even talked to that person. But maybe they'll hear your plea to say, wait a minute, I did that. I didn't think it was anything. The issue is that when I was talking, I said, well, you know, here I've got four or five people who are closest friends. They said they didn't mail it. I, I can give you those names. He goes, you know, we'll get that later. But then I said, you know, but I'd really like to send this to media because that's a way to really rule out real quickly. Did somebody mail the letter for her? And words were, you can't do that. That would ruin the case. That would hurt the case if you share that. You can't tell me it's not worth anything and at the same time tell me, well, you're going to ruin the case. I know certain evidence was taken because I was told that early on by both then head of homicide and by the then detective. Um, I know they were given the timeline by the ME. They didn't just make it up out of their, their mind. So that's why I find it so odd that it's not written on the autopsy. I think it's unusual when they say there's no injuries to this part of her body or that part of her body. I think it's odd that the evidence isn't listed. I think it's odd that there's nothing notated of what they sent to the state crime lab. And again, is did they send me the whole record? I mean, it seemed like it was pretty complete, but I don't know, I it, guess. It read as though it was complete, but there were some things I would certainly like to have seen on there. But here's the thing. In my 
professional opinion, the timeline has changed. So some of these folks that they have cleared, I believe they need to speak to again just to get clarification. Is there a possibility she was alive on the 28th? Is there a possibility she mailed that letter herself? We have to know that now. I've, I've been sending emails and, and requests saying, you know, so what are you going to be doing with the card? You know, are we going to look at the timeline? You know, I've not gotten any response. It's certainly something we're going to do. So we're going to pinpoint where this was mailed from. Was it a post office or a kiosk? We're putting the word out. Does anybody have any information of how this got mailed? Did Brittany ask somebody to mail it? Did she ask you a week before to mail it and it was in your car and then you saw it in the visor and decided to mail it? I've done that myself. If I put something in the sun visor, I may not see it for a couple of days. So again, you can help us with this timeline. If nobody comes forward, then we have to stay that it must have been Brittany that mailed it. It's just, yeah, every time I think this case can't get more mixed up, it does, you know, and it both gives me hope, you know, and I'm finding myself, you know, and having this anticipation. And then at the same time, I'm so concerned that it's still not going to answer anything. I mean, this really seems like maybe we finally found one of the reasons there's such a block in this case. Well, here's what I believe. I believe there is DNA. I believe something is going to come from that, from some of the testing that we believe prayerfully is being done, that you have asked repeatedly to get done. I think some answers are coming, but I believe this is such a message in a bottle type moment. I know. I mean, it's it's like, you know, I often, I don't know what I believe in, you know, but it's often, I often ask pretty, you know, I just say, please, please just somehow affect, you know, something to turn up or to lead us somewhere. So maybe. Well, Mama, I don't know what more she could have done. I know. I know. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, when people say, oh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Does he? Because this is in your face. <laughs> Brittany could not have done more to say, all right, Mama, you wanted me to give you a a clue, here it is, from my own handwriting to my own daddy. And he sent it to you, somebody you don't even talk to. He reaches out to you because he finds this and he notices the post stamp. And I mean, game on. I mean, that to me is powerful. Well, yeah. And then inside the card are where these words of, because it was a birthday card to her grandfather for her, her dad to give to him and she went, you know, love you, granddad. I'm sorry this is late. You know, this sort of to me was sort of saying, you know, I'm sorry I won't see you again type of thing. But But you know what it says to me? That she was even more in a hurry to mail it. She already knew it was late, so she wanted it to get to the post office. Well, I think a lot of good evidence has come out with that just surprise. I think they're gonna look at this and say, okay, we got to make sure that we're going to look at this timeline one more time. We're going to make sure that these alibis line up now with this new possible significant lead. And I think that 
whether it's state lab or a private lab, I think we're going to have some answers real soon. And Maggie, I mean, you are a warrior. And I know you're sitting right now in a hotel room by yourself and you're trying to process all this and you're doing the best you know with it, but I admire you. And I am telling you in my gut, this is such a sign from your child that I ain't gonna ignore it. I'm not going to either. Let's help law enforcement by spreading the word to encourage witnesses to come forward the phone number for the Tulsa PD is 918-596-9135. So I'm going to end Zone 7, like I always do, with a quote from somebody from my Zone 7. And tonight it comes from Susan Levy, the mama of Chandra Levy. Do not give up. Leave no stone unturned. Look for signs of loved ones, but don't look hard. They'll show up when you're not expecting it. I'm Cheryl McCollum, and this is Zone 7. Y'all better buckle up for next week. Not only are you going to hear from one of my friends from my Zone 7, but he is also one of my mentors. He is a living legend in the law enforcement world. Clay Bryant will make you think he came right off the pages of To Kill a Mockingbird. He is a lawman with a heart of gold and enough horse sense to capture professional criminals all by himself.